Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. Happy holidays. You've made it to the final episode of New Amsterdam Radio, brand new for 2022. Can't believe eight seasons is rocking and rolling, and we couldn't do it without your support. In a minute, we'll be having our interview with Ernestina Zhu. You're going to really love hanging with her and chatting with her. But before I get to that, here's some housekeeping at New Amsterdam on that Instagram, new underscore Amsterdam on that Twitter, newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W amsterdam.com see what else i'm working on uh on that space and of course the recent episode of the show i presented by seed geek you know i'm trying to figure out who do i want to be in the show or i want to get myself in the know with live entertainment i get my tickets through seat geek and now i'm gonna hook you up use promo code flopito that's f-l-o-b-i-t-o for twenty dollars off your first order that's right seat geek flopito a match made in heaven yes it's true the last episode of the year it's playing a little bit of a hiatus as we roll on the 2023 we got some fantastic guests coming down the pipe for you so i hope you guys enjoy that uh as far as for i am i'm gonna you take a week and and just break myself from the chain of making sure an episode's up fresh every Thursday. And on top of that, I am heading across the pond to the United Kingdom. Going to see some family, going to see some football slash soccer, and probably take some culture from another city for creatives. That's right. I'm going to go to London. I'm going to go to Glasgow. I'm going to go to Sterling. I'm going to go to Manchester, Bath. It's going to be a good time. If you're in those cities, reach out. Say hello. Um, I don't know where I'm going to be exactly, but if you somehow do happen to lock eyes, don't feel like I'm going to bite. (laughs) So Ernestina and I had a dope conversation about digital art and what it means to the evolution of the artist. And I know in the past episodes of New Amsterdam Radio, we talked about uh, things like NFTs and the metaverse, but never from this perspective. So I really hope you enjoy that. We had to do it big as we ended out the year. And then I hope that this episode becomes one of your favorites. Let me know what you think personally at Global Boys on Twitter. But enough of me rambling. It's now time for my chapter in Estina. Welcome back to New Am Sam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, the mayor of Global Boys, in the mayor's office, speaking with creatives, thinkers, and doers. But my guest, Ernestina, she is also a thinker, creative, and doer in so many different spaces. We're talking about the space of NFT, the digital art space, and the metaverse. Please welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. So that's a lot of slashes. Uh, when you're at a party, <laughs> how do you describe exactly what you do? Do you prioritize? You just say, hey, I'm just myself. Like, how do you put it on a button on it? To be fair, that's a good question. Because like, whenever I drop the NFT, like this three, like very specific thing, I have yeah. a lot of questions back already. So sometimes, yeah. honestly, I would kind of prefer to not like say too much before I know like, okay, they, they think it's a good thing or they think it's like bullshit or anything. 
right. try to avoid any sort of conflict. So it's like, <laughs> right. it is a very controversial topic, to be frank. Yeah, you don't want to talk that bullshit. Like, you go to a party and someone's like, well, I work in these spaces. <laughs> like, do you really? Um, I'll be honest with you, and and, mm -hmm. and I hope to, to be that middle ground, because I feel like we talk yeah. about NFTs and the metaverse. There's those yeah. that say, oh, wow, this is a really cool idea. There's those that go, I don't get it. But there's some people in the middle. I think I'm in this class where it's like, that sounds like something I'll be into, but how do I get to understand this? This sounds very advanced for a, a nice a publicly educated person like myself. Yeah, um, so basically, when I approach NFT specifically, so my journey starts from the art perspective. So I was an artist, which mm -hmm. at some point, like you need to learn a lot more than just creating art. Like, you need to know how to promote yourself, you need to do marketing, you need to do a lot more than that. True. And NFT is kind of like a new way of approaching art at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then I started from there, but the technical part of actually understand how it works and the framework, the architecture, and what's behind it, the whole theory of blockchain, bitcoins, and then the DLT, that's all like a different perspective. It's like you need to first come into practice and then understand the history or the theory behind it. People ask me, especially, like, what's your opinion? Like, what's your, what do you advocate? Do you think it's going to be the next big thing? I always say, like, I'm, I'm not here to advocate a thing specifically. I'm advocating this concept this very advanced, like, you know, the decentralized system that is going to work in the future. It's not specific about these things, like, in particular, but yeah. So, so taking a step back here about the actual yep. art that you create, had a chance to see yep. some of those, and, and I, I guess, what are the tools being used here? When you, is it completely digital? Is it, like, created in real space and scanned over? What What is, like, your actual craft? Um, so my work actually varies from, like, different fields. So I started off from doing oil paintings and then the traditional work and then sketchings, anything you can imagine, like, you know, watercolor on paper or any paintings you see, to be frank. Mm -hmm. And then gradually I ended up in doing the uh, video contents, like experimental video art, which is kind of similar to film, but not really. By exper like experimenting on different ways of expressions of how to like convey specific emotions and um, experience, basically. Right. And uh, beyond that, like currently, if you see the market, like right now, the very popular one is generative art, which is mm -hmm. generated by machines that you don't really have to do a lot of um, the creating, but like, you know, using the brush to paint a lot or anything. Sure. But it's um, generated by the machine itself by using the program, of course, or the AI generated art. Of course, it's kind of like a debatable topic of if it's still... Can I ask you where do you weigh in on that? Is that a... Is that a... Yeah. <laughs> but um, the thing is that currently my own practice is based on a very broad perspective. It's like I do art critics, I do art research, I do like, you know, different materials and medium just to experiment because NFT itself doesn't really have to be like, you know, the generated one or it doesn't really have to be the machine one. You can actually put like, you know, like before that we read on the news, a Twitter can be turned into NFT as well or any sort of game things, like equipments from the games, or um, anything you can imagine, to be frank, membership of a club. So it's a very broad, like, you know, definition. Uh, I absolutely. Think. I actually yeah. experimented with minting some of my tweets. Uh, no takers. Right. <laughs> no one was interested, but uh, they definitely do exist in the blockchain. Uh, yeah. But about the, uh, just a side question about the yeah. uh, artificial intelligence. I know that the whole Lenza app is pretty newsworthy now uh, with a lot of people buying into it. What's your take on AI generated art? Is it is it positive? Is it for good? Is it for evil? Somewhere in the middle? It's just a tool. 
<laughs> if you're like saying describe it as evil, I'd say it's a bit excessive <laughs> to say like, oh, this evil thing is going to kill me. Why I only kill extremes. About, about, that's true. That's true. Like, yeah. That's where it stands out sometimes. I'd say like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not going to like come out a computer and kill you, but. <laughs> right. um, I mean, to be frank, let's be completely honest. Like, art is not going to be like you know contaminating your mental health or like you know your actual physical health. Or it might have something to do with your expression or how you perceive specific visual contents. But the like you know the actual effect of visual contents or specific contents are not as strong as like you know the daily life of oh I stab you right here and then you're probably <laughs> going to bleed to death. Um, but okay, so my my take on that is, it is if it's something that exists, something it has a reason why it exists. I put it that way as if um if we're taking a look at the headphones company, that a few years ago, everyone is getting into the industry and being like you know I want to be the trader, I want to be like you know looking at the stats and then being like okay I want to buy in this, I want to buy that. But currently what is the trend right now is machines are kind of replacing people. What they're doing right now is using this AI generated like programs, the programs that human designed mm -hmm. this machine to predict the next machine and predicts the next stock to decide what's going on in the next minute. Like it is happening in a much faster and more efficient way that a human can make a decision within like what, 10 seconds trading one mm -hmm. stock. But what the machines can do is, like there are thousands of it. As long as you predict it, you know where, like you know, specific indicators shows that oh, it's gonna go up, it's gonna do down, and then you manage the risk. That's gonna be like one of the advantages of having a machine replacing human to do specific tasks. Agreed. At the same time, like you know, arts. One artist can create an artwork. Let's say what, like well, back in the time that when I was like you know painting oil paintings, they're doing oil paintings. When, like, you know, my teachers back then, like in my undergrads, they asked me how long does it take for me to make an artwork. I always said, like, you know, two hours, like, you mm -hmm. know, three hours or back and forth a little bit more than like two days. And that's it. I, I don't really like spending a month just staring at it and being like, okay, something <laughs> else to do. So, right. I mean, it's an expression and that moment matters. It's not like, you know, I keep doing the same thing all the time. Right, right, right. So this kind of like, you know, reflects on if it's generative art, that every few seconds you will have a different thing. And it's captured like different perspectives and characteristics. No matter if you like it or not, the efficiency is prime. Mm -hmm. The level of imitation for specific artists, for example, Van Gogh, like, of course, we couldn't get him here anymore to paint right. it for us, even though I, I didn't want to, but... The diva, like, I know. Yeah, like, <laughs> but if using the machine is able to not replicate, but like imitate specific skills or to like, you know, because um, I don't know if you've heard of like, there's this Chinese guy like um, based in China somewhere, like a little town that his only job is to paint Van Gogh's like painting. It's, oh. His only job is to replicate it. And in a legal way, of course, just yeah. to sell it and then, like, you know, just make money. For example, when you buy something in your house, like a Van Gogh painting, and but one of the sunflowers, and you want to buy, like, most probably, if you can't afford the real one, you're probably going to get it from, like, somewhere, you know, the private sellers. 
And his job for his whole life was just to imitate one person,、mm-hmm. and this job can be not replaced, but say like you know, be improved. That we、yeah. don't really need such a worker to do one thing specifically. Like he can do do his own creation if he wants. So he provides、mm-hmm. opportunities. I'd say by the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. taking out the、uh, honestly tedious tasks because I mean I'm sure that、yeah. that person's life work is amazing, but things that could be easier done by machines. It makes sense. Exactly.、Uh, exactly. Coming from the stand-up comedy side, most of my career、uh, before the pandemic sidelined most of、yeah. the planet.、Uh, I got into dabbling a little bit with performing in. Metaverses, or I guess in some、mm. metaverses,、uh, it's not just like one thing, right? I learned that one day one.、Um, so much fun seeing avatars, virtual representation, having things, having sets, having jokes minted.、Uh, pretty surreal, if, if you could say so, about where that's going to be.、Uh, what's that like for you? There's creating it, there's minting it, but then it's kind of like interacting with these spheres with other users and other appreciators from all over the, the corner of the world through, through the internet. Yeah, yeah. So、um, before, when I was doing the research about the metaverse and intimate relationship, so one of the first thing about intimate relationship building is you have to interact with others. You have to、mm-hmm. interact with real human beings behind the avatars. So when you're entering the metaverse, like world or whatever it's called,、um, it might not be even called metaverse in the future. I feel like like it's it's the concept <laughs> of this right, unified right. world, a virtual、right. world that we're moving from, like you know, the physical world to the next level. But、um, in general, like I, when I'm getting into this world, at least I would kind of prepare, be prepared to encounter any sort of problems that if I'm having it in the real life, it's gonna be replicated there as well. For example, one of the things like before it happened like two years ago or a year ago, there was some like sexual harassment happen, like incidents happened in the metaverse,、mm-hmm. and because of that, some of the apps、um, actually set the regulation that you're not allowed. To、um, get too close to the other user without consent, or、yeah. to speak specific languages, of course, like hate speech or、um, any related stuff shouldn't be like allowed. But I mean, in a way, because you kind of have to like expect it to happen, because it's going to be a world, and you're going to be like filled up with everybody is going to migrate on it, and all the industries are going to try to get up on it, like the real estates last year. Like they're、mm-hmm. already trading, like trying to get the, you know, the, the 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 lands, and then try to build the properties and everything. Like the more that they're moving stuff on it, the more possibilities that we're creating for the future to be able to live on this virtual world. But at the same time, there will be a lot more、um, questions, or especially when there's no regulations or laws yet,、yeah. like to be properly issued by the government or any sort of like you know regulation regulatory. Government like organizations, it's going to be hard. Like just like you know NFT or Bitcoin's blockchain, like you know. I always say that the you can tell it's something onto when companies get involved and when companies get involved, regulations follows right after.、Uh, like I understand that it, Facebook is now Meta, but I gotta feel this would be the lame one, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we talk about a little bit about you being an artist and、yeah. and and the relationship between art and commerce, right? I mean, we can always create what we want to, but if you're an artist that doesn't sell anything, I mean, you're pretty much just a conceptual person. What's that kind of been for you and your end working with metaverses、uh, and and minting some of your work? Or does he even get into that involved with other artists who do the same thing? Is it a clear path for generating revenue to to subsist, or is this kind of a tool in a bigger toolbox for other things? 
Yeah. At first, I have to agree. Like, you know, the conceptual art is like, that's a very funny way of calling it. <laughs> but not like, it's a very respectful way of calling it, to be frank, in a way. <laughs> um, honestly, like before the whole like NFT thing like launched, it has been a bit problem. Well, I call it a problem or issue more of for independent artists, especially new art artists at the early stage of their career, trying to get into the industry, trying to get to know the collectors, galleries, and traders to get their paintings out because it is a problem and galleries are buying in by like large amount of quantities and then they're selling in specific price by paying royalties very low mm -hmm. royalties most of the time if, if you're like early stage like career artist um and also at the same time you have other like you know ways of selling artworks but in general if you take a look at how many art schools are out there right now and how many people graduated from fine arts but then ended up like doing something else like it is it is the reality that you kind of have to figure out like some other solutions to sell yourself one of the thing is nft basically when it started because you can get exposed your like get your paintings or whatever thing that you want to post get exposed to other crowds that you don't even know who they are which they think it's worth to invest on you specifically mm -hmm. And that's the moment that, like, you know, like, gives opportunities. But at the same time, though, like, we will have to be very, very realistic of, um, are you actually going to be the next CryptoPunk? Are you going to be the <laughs> next person to be able to sell, like, you know, like, $69 million, like, you know, within one digital work? Right. It still has a lot to do with, like, the personnel, like, you know, the... The profiles you're putting up, the actual like you know background you have in, and do you have any sort of like you know, like marketing tools or any companies or galleries supporting you that investors think that you have the value to invest into? But um, at the same time, like because my pro like my graduate, my undergrads was in uh, digital arts and digital media art, a double degree, so it's both in BFA and BA, so I was able to approach it from like different angles because my BFA was mostly like um, focused on the like CGI technologies and then the computer science, like more programming of game design, film production, and very technical side. But um, the other side of digital media art is more of like how to do like, you know, producing job and how yeah. to do marketing and how to do a lot of the very new time artist thing. So I think like this two like, parts of how to do marketing and how to market yourself. It's almost like self-branding as we we're talking about these days for the last decade that it's like going wild, I'd say. Right. Like everyone is saying like self-branding. My brand, dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost kind of like that, that you have to be having like, you have to have this sort of entrepreneurial like thoughts and then figure out your own way of dealing with it. Because my path came from the um, digital arts to digital sociology and then migrating to fintech and digital art. Mm -hmm. So it is not really the normal path. But if you have an interest into like, you know, selling your work, you kind of have to know a lot more than just creating stuff, just being the artist and waiting for your, you know, someone to sell it for you because it's not going to happen, basically. Yeah. So, yeah.
Uh, many, many moons ago when I moved out here uh, in, in the Los Angeles area yeah. to, to be a filmmaker, uh, yeah. one of the cool or lame things, I'm paying for it now, is that our third year of our MFA program, we could have like asked for more of our student loans to make our thesis film. And mm. you can imagine if you can like parcel that off and raise yeah. unlockables or NFT unlockables for those films, you could probably have it already paid, not to worry about student loan <laughs> debt. But that's another issue for another time. Uh, so talking oh, about the sure. academics of it all, what was the moment when you said, look, I I'm an artist. I'm not going to forgo that part. I'm going to lean into the academia side of what this means, the implication it has for society. Um, I think it originally starts with like when people ask me questions of what is NFT. Mm -hmm. And it starts getting like, I get like, you know, um, my friends or co-workers or like people in the same field are curious about what it is. But they couldn't get enough information back then time that when I was in China. So I like, I did a lot of like translation and then the le public lecturing about what it is. So at the beginning, that was like the beginning of 2021 and a lot of fellowship and then places, they want to find this, find out about this new thing because of the headline, you know, the 69.3 million bucks of that one specific digital art is astonishing all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, it kind of starts from there because ain't nobody knows what, like, you know, what, what it is and they want to know, but they don't have a resource. So I was like, well, I understand the language. I kind of know what's behind it and you know when you're the first person kind of dabbling in the field you just need to do it and it didn't really I didn't really start from like you know oh I, I want to write well I didn't <laughs> want to write for a long time until I actually got into like you know the whole research but um later on the more that you find like you know when you get finally get into the field as currently <clears throat> I'm both in the social science um department and also the fintech group Right. That's like more business related. Both sides, they don't really know each other that well. And even the okay. art side, like none of them, like all the departments, they're very detached from each other. So they need someone who's coming from like one specific area to do job in the other one so that you can actually talk within these two departments. And the moment you can engage this conversation, you don't have to be like an actual expert. Like, you know, you don't have to know everything about about like, you know, you just need to know a little bit more from the other disciplinary and bring it in and you yeah. become the bridge to like, you know, communicate with one another. So that's the whole definition of interdisciplinary study. So, yeah, yeah. that's what drives me today, to be frank. Like, yeah, you know. what was kind of cool is that the 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 icons of art always seem to be that Rosetta Stone. Like, not all the translations go through, but enough to say, "Hey, look, this is the art, this is the art side, this is the commerce side." But about your academic side, you are in the process of releasing a book on the subject. So I'm just really curious about the through line because there's a a myriad of angles that you could approach this. Uh, what's your book about, and how can people get more information about it? Yes, um, so the book is kind of approaching the NFT and metaverse in a more like plain way or easy understanding way of what it is and how do we deal with it from <laughs> so you don't have to deal with all the jargons and you know with all the you know the minting the decentralized definance and then all the big words that is out there it's going to try to like you know bring down the jargons and then make you understand it in an easier way of what it is and if you're interested in it of course like there are more books to read about like you know in a more professional way and how you can engage in it but um, one of the main goal for the book is to let like the public to engage with the academic like research of what's going on in the NFT and metaverse and what can we do 
as someone who's interacting, who's living in this society, like the digital age, that not knowing where to go next and um, trying to figure out a way, like an, a bit of a guidance from the academic, you know, the technical side and and give it, give it a bit, yeah, just trying to connect it all, as I always say. Like, um, well, I, I, here's the question I have for, yeah. for experts like yourself, and, and, I'm, and I'm so glad you're able to, to think about those who are trying to get on, on board, the, the on-ramp until more deeper things. What was your process in understanding if, if it works? Do you have like a, a team of lay people? You're like, yo, read this book. <laughs> Let me know if you, under, you get it. Or did you like do self-edits? you have a team? Like, what was the process in balancing the knowledge and making it accessible? Um, so the thing, okay, so because I came from the art background and my friends are very diverse in general, and I didn't really come from like the proper academic, like, you know, surrounded by academias. So my approach is to talk to a lot of people, especially when they're not in the fintech specifically, or in not even knowing what is NFT or metaverse and give mm -hmm. it to them for the first chapter and the second chapter and ask them about their like ideas. Like, do you get what I'm saying? And at the same time, I have a, like a medium blog that I keep posting stuff and waiting for reflections or comments on what are the people like, you know, what, what do they think of it? Do they think it's more accessible or do you think it's too complicated or do you have any suggestions? So originally actually starts from the blog and the original podcast at the beginning that like turning into the, uh, the audio and the visual way of explaining it. And when you explain it, like, like many times as you would, like you get used to it. And then you start like kind of approaching it from the way that, okay, this is the stuff they understand. This is a word that I should be using instead of like piling it up with all the stuff you don't understand and try to explain it in the next five minutes of what it is. And yeah. you're not going to get it like in the next yeah. hour. It's just not how it's worked. Like you need to like breach it in. It's a much, much slower way. And then make them get used to the word first and then use it properly. And then before this whole process is happening, like don't use any of the words. Just <laughs> substitute with something that you understand, like the stock. Like sometimes people are comparing like Bitcoins, blockchains as kind of like the stock market. Yeah. I was like, I wouldn't agree completely, but if you really want to think it that way, yes, it is. It's like going up and down, up and down. Right. Because it's like, you know, you don't, the authorities are not going to be those like, you know, the government and this and that. Not going to be any organizations, but it's similar. Yes, the concept is. So. Yeah, it's it's like when uh, when I was in film school and trying to describe a movie, it's like this meets that. You're like, no, it's not. It's a whole unique thing. You don't understand. Fine, it is uh, whatever you want. It's cool. Uh, the podcast is digitalization. It's available now wherever you stream, uh, with your Radio Public, iHeart, uh, Apple, and Spotify. Let's do a couple episodes. Totally enjoyed it, and it's quick too. Like you can really do a couple of those episodes on your lunch break, which I really appreciate. Uh, so you are based in Manchester, United Kingdom, uh, which is from by the plane flies eleven hours away uh what what uh, from the outside looking in that city seems very blue collar knows their grindstone go ahead work uh you know with your hands <laughs> rough and rough. uh oh, what's yeah. that been been the the populace's uh take on this whole thing you know being someone that, who's seen the other side are they quick to embrace that or they're like us here in the united states we're like that stuff sounds fake <laughs> <laughs> well to be frank i encounter a lot of the time like you know 
a lot of people literally came up to me when I said, like, I'm doing a P, and they were like, I don't think it's bullshit. I was like, all right, <laughs> calm down, honey. We're at a fintech event. Right? Right, right. But I was like, all right. <laughs> um, so, okay, so in Manchester, in specific, we do have a lot of, like, organizations, like Fintech North, that specifically focus on the, um, the area, like the England, like north of England. And also, like, because uh, I'm currently based at the Manchester, the University of Manchester, doing my PhD program. So um, we do have the FinTech Center and a lot of, like, supporting programs. And also the conference was held annually here as well. And um, so a lot of resource here. Though, like, in general, I would say, like, down in London, it has more, like, you know, probably a little bit more vibrant because of the size of the city and the populations and the... Um, the possible like you know the concentration of, of finance stuff like happening there but because like last year i was based in um edinburgh and it, it it's it's a very beautiful city i don't know if you've ever been it's very quiet <laughs> <laughs> i like how you put the compliment up first it's a nice city it's great uh, it is, it's fun <laughs> it is very beautiful but... quite a lot of squirrels as well like beautiful nature um it's but possibly because of population, and I'd say still, like, you know, the uh, the general, the main industry there is not really focused on technology and then financial stuff currently. But, you yeah. know, we're, we're not, like, we're not saying in the future, next 10 years, not going to be the next capital of, like, you know, NFT and stuff. We never know. Like, I'm, I'm not giving any sort of comments like that. But yeah. um, it is definitely, like, a more vibrant community here even. So, yeah. It's always great to be among uh, those that that get it. Uh, for like here in LA, there's like a whole creative aspect. So as yeah. someone who creates things, it's great. But my family's from New York, so when I go home, it's like we don't care about YouTube views. <laughs> like we don't give a <laughs> crap. I don't know. So it's good to have that balance. Those who get it and those who don't, and it's always a good. Thing. <laughs> oh right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, me, I, I tell my parents all the time. They have absolutely <laughs> no idea what I do. <laughs> Like, it's like we support you because you're our kid, but yeah, yeah. Honestly, like there, yeah. there are a few people like you. Now you kind of know, like when you talk to someone, you kind of select. You're like, ah, oh, okay. I see you a little bit. You know, you're kind of into it, and I will tell you more about it. Or else I'll be like, no, it's fine. Right, it's fine. right. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> smile and I walk away. Uh, well, I, I always ask all my guests these uh, personal questions because I like to go deeper and find yeah. all the other uh, scandalous <laughs> things. But if you do believe in the concept of a day off, what do you do for your day off to recharge? Um, that's a good question because I don't really <laughs> let myself go on the day off at what? all. <laughs> I think, to be frank, I would be too anxious to not do anything um, because, like, I have this clock that is ticking all the time that if I'm not doing anything, the world is going to keep up and um, they're gonna just going to, you know, outcompete me and I'm going to be, like, behind everything. And <laughs> uh, You can check your phone at the roller disco or you can look at an iPad at a baseball game. Like, it's not like you're yeah, straight yeah, into your true, office. True. <laughs> True. Um, it's it's kind of funny, like, because I normally, when people ask me about my daily life, especially when you first um, start doing the academia, like shifting from the practice work to the academia work, your your life is kind of like um, a little bit different now. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, like, I don't really have a day off during the week. 
just to keep myself sharp and then do stuff. I think. Oh, actually, one other thing I think I'll probably do a lot is more is um, to do more online courses and just like lectures or any other courses that I've never heard of. Um, like last year, I think I took a course of like just one of the open course about near death experience of like oh, wow. what like what what you're going to experience in the hospital in the last few minutes and from the biological side to like you know the um the spiritual side but w- which i'm more interested into the you know the biological side of you you know your pupils are going to dilate and then your heartbeat is going to do something and then like how do they define your dad and is it going to are are you going to be like having fake death and then nobody's going <laughs> to recognize you like because I, I do have the anxiety of like if one day I'm dead, but I'm actually not dead, dead. But right. someone is gonna say like you're dead. Um, right. That's that's like one other thing. Um, but I mean, there there are a lot of things I find that is out there, like waiting me to explore. Like so, I would say probably fill it up with a lot of online courses. <laughs> that that works. No, that's totally fine. Trying to level up and and I guess what makes a person a true intellectual is not so much the knowledge they have, but the pursuit of more. So yeah, why not? I, that totally counts. But that totally beats being like chained to your office and be like, I can't leave. I take no, no days no. off. No. Uh, office is you... not like you. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Uh, what would you yeah. say is your favorite junk food? Uh, if you so you know, if you're gonna diet, want to cheat on it today, uh, what do you do for junk food? I I don't know. Like barbecues count as like junk food or not i wouldn't say sorry I mean, oh, with a lot hard. of fat though i personally i'm, I'm like a very like you know a meat eater but i feel like sometimes a lot of people say that it's not that healthy if you like barbecue and everything i'm not sure even so right. like I'm not a big fan of potatoes, so like I wouldn't say I'm not a big fan of potatoes. No, not really, because I find like the amount of uh, flour inside that kind of makes me conscious of you know the the um, the calories and stuff. I so I, I hear you because it's it's not because you can't go to a doctor and be like, yeah, I had ribs every day for a month, but yeah. at the same time, it's low carbs. So you can, in fact, lose weight if you just eat. Yeah, just but I mean, it's ribs are nice, very nice. Like, it's very hard about. to get it here as well. Uh, oh yeah, okay, I'll make a note of that. I'm going to the UK <laughs> next month. I'm taking a note of what to not do when I get there. Uh, <laughs> All the Yorkshire uh, pudding I want, but no barbecue. Oh, Good to know. Be, before we get out of here, this is something I, I read an article that you wrote over at your Medium page and yeah. listened to an episode over at your podcast about the Tinder metaverse theory. And I was enamored yes. about this, not because <laughs> I'm a single bloke looking on Tinder all the time, but rather right. what does it mean for the populace? What does that mean, the Tinder metaverse theory? And can you expound upon that? So the Tinder metaverse, okay, it's still a prototype thing. Like even though I contact the Tinder company myself even for more research purpose and uh, they did come up with like... And it came back with me with like, no, we don't, we can't really share too much information. But um, the Tinder Metaverse in general is basically you're going to date on, you know, in the Metaverse virtual world. And the, uh, from the societal side, like sociological side, that because like Tinder as one of those, like, you know, the dating apps, at the beginning, what it does is it was, it's able to kind of like um, collapse the time scale that, people communicate. For example, you can connect with someone in the different zone or in a different country or like to chat with them whenever you want, basically. And then at the same time, it connects the physicality of where you are. Basically, location doesn't really matter. Of course, you have the location scale of where you can set up. 
So these are one of those like very important things about the sociological impacts of dating apps. When you're using the dating, of course, like a lot of um, problems are always existing in dating apps. For example, the gamification of the whole process that you feel like you're doing a game instead of actually looking for intimate relationship partners, which at the end of the day, the goal of your partner is what type of partners are you looking at? Like, are you looking for? It's still um, depending on different people. So we're not judging it from like it's good or bad. But Tinder Metaverse is going to create a new experience of putting you in the same situation, in the same geographical location in the virtual world. And you're able to do something together as if you can imagine yourself in this space or build your own space, if this means a lot to you, or like rebuild something from your memories. For example, some place that already been like, you know, like that's, that's already gone. And then experience this unique thing to you and to the other partner. So creating memories as in the intimate relationship building is very important as a shared in memory. So Tinder Metaverse is going to like actively promoting and then allow you to create this sort of distinctive things for yourself. And also at the same time, like a lot of things that um, Tinder Metaverse or Metaverse in the like intimate relationship can explore. Um, there, there hasn't been actually like a limit of what you can do, but you are the person who is creating it yourself. That's basically the definition of Web3, that you won't be looking at the computer using the Facebook by recognizing that there's actually those like programmers design the program for you to use it and you're able to share using specific functions but not create original stuff yourself. Web3 basically giving you the opportunities of, okay, I'm creating th this blank thing for you that you're going to be the programmers and you're going to, it's going to be a more accessible way. Like, it's not like saying everyone has to be a programmer, of course, but it's basically making you the creator of this world to create what you want and what you want to spread out or create or whatever you want to do about it. So that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't wait to be the first man left on red in the metaverse. Uh, Ernestina, thank you so much for being on the show. New Amsterdam <laughs> Radio, you. the podcast for creatives. If someone wants to connect with you or learn more about your research and products coming up, how they go about doing that? Um, so I do run like a personal uh, website and which is including most of my artworks and our experience and then the podcast book link, everything you can imagine basically. And the social media, reach out to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you could find me or if you want, connect me with, like, you know, in the academic way, like, send me an email if you have any sort of proposal. Um, it's all, all out there. And um, just Google my name and I guess, yeah. That's that's the highlight of my career. You want to know who I am? Google it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I mean, to be fair, Ernestina is not really a common name. Fair, like, yeah. fair. I was like, oh, that's nice. That's, that's cool. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. <laughs>